Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. There's a call comes ringing for the restless waves and the lights and the lights. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Your host this evening is Stevie R. Butler with my co-host, Tim Bench from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Georgia, Courtney Carruthers. From the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo. From the state of Florida, Patrick Medlock. From the state of Florida, Willie Williams III. From the state of Texas, Jason Lieber. From the state of Kentucky. Ladies and gentlemen, we're grateful that you are tuning in to our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We would ask that you would take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you would like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to srbutler1009 at yahoo.com, or you can give me a call to the Carolina studio at 910-491-6405. Now again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler, and this radio show is being broadcast from the Carolina studio in the great state of North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just grateful for the privilege to be able to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. So before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day. 
and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you would be with my co-hosts on the show this evening as they break unto us the bread of life. We pray that you will continue to bless them and their families that support their efforts to continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners this evening. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And we would ask that it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not even have a hope of eternal life. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives, and that we have been faithful unto death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For us in Jesus Christ's blessed name, we do ask it all. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the broadcast. Our speakers this evening will be in the first segment. Uh, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Georgia will be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have some questions from my Shout It Out platform uh, here on social media, Facebook, that I'll be posing to my co-host. And then in the last segment of the broadcast, my co-host Steve Carter will be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open your Bibles now and open your minds, and let's have a great show after the break. The next voice you hear be that of my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson. Enjoy the show. Shoulder that you 
shoulder that you can cry on, yeah. I know it's hard sometimes to see the strength of him you cannot see, yeah. But if it wasn't for him, where would you be? Encourage my friend, he knows exactly what you need. Right. He will be alright. Oh, yes, he will. Hey, I'm talking about Jesus. opportunity to uh, be here to share uh, a lesson out of God's Word. If you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 7, uh, this lesson this evening I'm uh, uh, presenting actually comes from a series that I do on what sports can teach the Christian. And one of the things the sports uh, that sports teaches us is about rules and boundaries, because that's what makes it uh, a good game take away the rules and boundaries, you've got no gain. And that's the way it is in our Christian life. God's commandments are given to us for our own good so that we know how to live a proper Christian life. And to do that, we, of course, need to know where the boundaries are. Because without rules and boundaries, your life would be inconsistent. It would be chaos. Relationships would not work out. Uh, Let me just ask the the listening audience a, a question. Uh, Some of us, especially in the Southeast, are sports fans. We like uh, football especially. Would you want to play a game of football, but after every possession, I get to change the rules? Well, of course, nobody wants to play that way. We want the rules set so we know that a touchdown is worth so many points, an extra point is worth so many points. And there are uh, several uh, rules within a football game, and to play them, you've got to know them. Now, let's look at some of the things that boundaries do for us. With a football game, they keep us playing within certain parameters, and that's the way it is in life. For instance, boundaries, believe it or not, do give us freedom. John chapter 8, Jesus said that uh, to the Jews who believed in him, that if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples, and the truth shall set you, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And boundaries are the legal descriptions that we use, and the truth is what's going to give us our boundaries. Boundaries give freedom, and freedom defines love. 
See, whether it is your relationship to God or others, if you take away freedom, you take away love. It is only when you are free to choose and disagree that you are free to love. When you live without freedom, you live in fear. And you cannot actually love someone that you don't have a choice to uh, to love. And boundaries give us true freedom. Matthew chapter 7 is concluding a chapter of the Sermon on the Mount given uh, by Jesus. And in verses 21 to 23, Jesus makes it clear that true freedom does not come by turning from the commandments and boundaries that God has given us. To say that you are free to do what you want to do with no regard for God's word is the way to bondage. Just stop and think about people who are living outside of Christ. They are in bondage to sin. They don't have real freedom. One word that gives uh, the key to freedom uh, is obedience. Because you can know about the commandments and boundaries that God has given us through uh, the... Have you ever had a friend like issues on my end, I guess. But we're discussing uh, keeping it in bounds and how boundaries actually can give us freedom. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. See, loving relations with God are deeply rooted in freedom. And God gives us boundaries so that we can enjoy life. And they give us security. Now, as a parent, I set boundary for my, a boundary for my five-year-old. There are certain things I don't want her to do because it's for her safety and her security. Uh, I don't want her to go out playing. There's a four-lane highway that runs right by our house. I don't want her going out there and playing uh, because she could get hurt. There's a boundary. It's not to hurt her fun or anything like that. It's because it's a boundary. Look again at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus gives a parable of two men, wise, one wise, one foolish. They built their houses. One built his house on a rock and the other on sand. Now, building on solid rock, he lives with security. Security is closely related to freedom. Each man had the freedom to build whatever foundation he wanted. He could build it however he wanted to do it. But when you build your life on Jesus, you have a rock, a solid foundation to construct your life on, and that is going to give you uh, the freedom to not have to worry about uh, your house falling when the storms come. 
Only a person who builds his life on Christ is secure. All other ground, as the song says, is sinking sand. The life built on Christ is delivered from fear. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, gives the Christian assurance that his life is in God's hands. Beginning in verse uh, 31 of uh, Romans chapter 8, if you want to uh, turn over there, where he's, this is uh, a passage that uh, we have quoted a lot and typically gets misunderstood. And sometime we'll have to take a look at that and see uh, the misapplications of it. But notice down in verse 31 where Paul is uh, giving us, he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God also making an, uh, makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril uh, or sword? You see, notice this is giving us some assurances that our life is in God's hands. God is true to his promise. He will do everything possible to help us all stay faithful. But remember, we have to make choices. Jesus said that the key to building on a solid foundation is to is what you do with his teachings, which brings us to obedience. That is going to be the key. Notice the people listening to Jesus' teachings understood the significance of building on rock versus sand. But very few people in, ancient, uh, in that ancient part of the world wanted to live, on, uh, live in the rock because it meant grading the side of a slope and hauling up materials. Living in the hills made for a very difficult travel. Water had to be brought in. Uh, winter winds were colder. Most people followed the path of least resistance and built along the riverbeds. And if you've ever lived along riverbeds or close to water, you know what happens in flood season. This, the scenario uh, that's more pleasant, even with the water, let me try that again. The scenery is more pleasant. Water is conveniently located. Houses are sheltered from cold winds when you're uh, in the lower country. But flooding becomes a danger. And on a rare occasion, maybe only once a generation, you get those 100-year floods that come in and destroy everything. But Jesus is speaking of the absolute necessity of building your life on the right kind of foundation and keeping it there, not taking the path of least resistance. Because the foundation is what holds everything up, holds everything together. And no matter what quality of material you use, no matter how carefully you join the frame together, no matter how skilled a craftsman you may be, if the foundation isn't solid, your house will not stand. And over time, cracks will develop in the walls. The windows will, will stick. The roof will leak. And sooner or later, the storms are going to bring that house down. And if your house is not built on the rock that Jesus uh, gave us, Using the blueprints he gave us, eventually it's going to come crashing down. You may remember from school the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You may even have been there and seen it. When uh, It was shut down for quite a while, but finally reopened to the public after having been closed for a long time. And during that time, engineers put a $25 million renovation project designed to stabilize the tower. And they removed 110 tons of dirt and reduced its 
famous lean by about 16 inches. And why would that be necessary? Because that tower has been tilting further and further for a long time uh, to the point where eventually it would collapse. Now, the problem seems to be something that's underneath in the soil. It's sandy soil underneath that it's built on. So you can see that the tower doesn't have the foundation that it needs. Both the wise man and the foolish man, you notice in Matthew 7, built great houses. They worked hard, but one just did it better than the other because that wise man followed the instructions. One man uh, named Edwin Markham wrote an appropriate little story called The Builder. You may have uh, heard this story at one time or another about a certain rich man wanted to help someone. He saw the squalor in which a certain poor person lived with his large family. So the rich man sent for a carpenter and placed in his hands the blueprints for a nice home. He ordered that the house be made beautifully and sturdy and that the best materials be used regardless of the price. He further explained that he was going on an extended trip and wanted the house completed when he returned. Seeing the chance to make a huge profit, this carpenter skimmed on the materials. He used inexperienced workers, paid them uh, who you know, only got low wages, covered the mistakes with paint, and then when the rich man returned, the carpenter handed him the keys to the house and said, here you go, follow the blueprints to the letter, or you know, to the, to the inch, Good, replied the rich man as he, as he looked over the prints and then gave the keys back to the carpenter. He said, the house that you've been building is yours. You and your family are, can live here now. And in the years that followed, concluded uh, uh, Edwin Markham, the builder often regretted that he had cheated himself. You see, you and I are building houses with either good materials or bad materials. We're building according to a code that we made up or a code that Jesus gave us. We're building according to the plan, or we're cutting corners. Jesus warned us to build our houses wisely, to keep it in bounds, to keep it within the plan he gave us, within the rules. Paul admonished the Christians in Corinth to let every man heed how he builds. R.L. Sharp, a poet, put it this way. He said, isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings Common people like you and me are builders for eternity. Each is given a list of rules, a shapeless mass, a bag of tools. Each must fashion, ere life is flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Jesus gives us the choice where you are going to build your life. You can build on temporary sand. You can disregard his teachings, as many people have. Or you can choose to build your life on what Jesus gave us and make it the solid foundation. You build on that foundation by obeying the teachings of Jesus and paying attention to those building codes. That is our regular prayer time, our Bible study time. That is being properly baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and making choices that honor and please the Lord. And if you have not done that, let me encourage you to do that, to contact someone in your area who is a faithful Christian that can help you build or even help you uh, repair if there's been damage done to your Christianity. Thank you, Stevie, for uh, this opportunity, and uh, sorry about the technical glitches. These are the announcements for the events and activities in the Churches of Christ. If you would like to have your events and activities announced on this radio broadcast, please give me a call at the Carolina studio at 910 6405 or send me an email to srbutler1009 
at yahoo.com. The New Bird Church of Christ in Louisville, Kentucky is currently seeking a full-time minister, so please submit all inquiries to the New Bird COC at gmail.com. Candidates will be forwarded a job description and application packet. Completed applications should be submitted along with the candidate's resume, references, doctrinal philosophy, and a sample audio or video recording of a sermon. On August the 4th through the 9th, 2019, the Northside Church of Christ will be the official host of the 2019 Florida State Lectureship of the Churches of Christ in conjunction with the Jacksonville, Florida Congregations. On March the 21st through the 24th, 2019, the Millennial Reach Collaborative presents God's Plan Millennial Reach Conference. And that address will be the Marriott Miami Airport at address 1201 Northwest Lejeune Road, Miami, Florida, 33126. For more information or registration, visit their website at www.reach.com or give them a call at 228-331-3324. On April the 5th through the 7th, 2019, there'll be a homecoming gospel meeting at the Southside Church of Christ, and that address is 916 County Road, Rogersville, Alabama, 35652. For more information, give them a call at 256-247-3104. On February the 4th through the 9th, 2019, the Asafala Church of Christ in Ghana, West Africa, is having a six-day gospel campaign. And this theme is the knowledge of the truth. Service time will be nightly services uh, at 7 p.m. And there will be a variety of guest speakers on their program. Also, the ministering evangelist is Richard Dunker. And just a program reminder... Stevie B's Media Production presents We're airing live shows Here on Blog Talk Radio The first Monday of every month From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 5 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time I'm hosting a live show The Gospel Light Radio Show And that will be a special edition And that show will be For selective topics That our listeners will be suggesting And then on Tuesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'm hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord radio show. And on that show, each week I have guest speakers from the Churches of Christ throughout the Brotherhood who will be presenting lessons from the Word of God. Also, Also on... I also have some the community corner, and on, I, I'm kind of getting distracted here. I got a lot going on, but the community corner we have uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs who will be presenting presentations just to inform us of what products and services they have to offer to our community. We also have my co-host Edward Bishop. He's from Niagara Falls, New York, and he'll be presenting lessons from the Word of God as well. 
And then on Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And on that radio show, we have eight co-hosts who will be presenting lessons from the Word of God. And each week I have two co-hosts who will be on the air with me. I'm also taking some questions from my shouted out platform on social media, Facebook, and I'll be posing these questions to my co-hosts. Also on Friday night, I'm hosting a live show from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'm hosting a live show, Stevie B's Acapella Gospel Music Blast radio show. And on that show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists. We'll also be doing artist interviews in the Story Glory segment. And we'll be debuting new music featuring old music. And we'll also be doing the Top 20 Countdown show. And once a quarter, we try to do the marathon show. That's a three-hour show for whatever group of artists that we're featuring on that broadcast. And if you are an artist and you would like to have your music played on this radio show, just send me your MP3 formatted tracks via Dropbox, and you can send them to my email address, srbutler1009 at yahoo.com. You can also listen to all of my on-demand episodes now through my affiliate internet stations, through Spotify, through iHeartRadio, through Apple iTunes, through ACARadio.net, through iWave Radio, through MCCBroadcasting.com, through IVC Broadcasting, through YouTube. Go to the Church TV Network and see their playlist, Acapella Radio. Uh, go to my uh, YouTube channel, Stevie R. Butler, a.k.a. Stevie B., and you can also go to my website, Spreaker.com, that's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com, and type my name in the search bar, Stevie R. Butler, and you'll see all those on-demand episodes. And also go to World of Acapello site. Also, I'd like to thank my sponsors. Uh, we picked up a few new sponsors here. Uh, Bethesda, Memorial Funeral Services, Directors Com- um, Crematory Services, uh, from DeSoto, Texas. And also Sharon Norwood, she lives in Chicago, Illinois. Her company is called Organo, and their slogan is a health product for healthier living. And Yvonne Blazing Cracker Goose, she lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And also Stanley Phillips, he's the owner of the Touch of Class Apparel out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And also C.J. Colson, she has the company uh, Utopian Health Institute. And she lives in Monument, Colorado. You can also see episode 101 for her presentation of her company on the show, What a Word from the Lord, that airs on Tuesday night. And that will conclude my announcements. You are the reason I sing. The reason I breathe, Lord, you are the best thing that's happened to me. You are my joy, Lord, you are, Lord, you are, you are the reason I sing. The reason I breathe, Lord, you are the best thing that's happened to me.
reference that's given is in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. And, of course, the context of this chapter is Jesus is on the cross now with those two hanging between those two thieves. And he says to one of the thieves before he actually gives up the ghost in verse 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here is the question. Is paradise in heaven? What say you to this question? Uh, thanks, Susan. So, no, paradise is not in heaven. Paradise is in Hades. If we go to Luke chapter 16, we see the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we are given a glimpse of what Hades The Hades is the realm of the dead. It is distinct from heaven and hell. It is the place where the dead go to, to await the judgment. And we see in that, that, uh, that story that Jesus tells that there is a partition uh, in Hades between uh, the torment uh, to Taurus and the place of paradise, which is uh, also called Abraham's bosom. And the, the poor man was uh, uh, Lazarus was embraced by, by Abraham. He was in a place of comfort and rest while he awaited his judgment, while the rich man was in a place of, of torment and a place of, of agony, and there was no way for them to uh, cross between uh, one place to the other, but they could see and interact with each other. Uh, so there is a, a, a separation in within the the place of Hades between uh, a place of, of comfort and joy called the Abraham's bosom or paradise. And on the other hand, the place of torment uh, where uh, those who are not in a safe condition will go to await the, the judgment. Uh, neither one of these is heaven or hell. Heaven or hell comes after the judgment. So when, uh, when ju- the judgment comes and, and Hades is done away with, the, the souls in paradise will be ushered into heaven. The souls in, in torment will be on their way to, to hell. So uh, it's not the same thing as heaven. Uh, paradise is not in heaven, but it is uh, related. Uh, it's in Hades, and it's the place where the people who are eventually going to be in heaven will await their, their judgment. So you saying Uncle Joe ain't in heaven yet? <laughs> not at this time. <laughs> at least I cannot verify that difficulty. All right, brother. Thank you for that response. That was a good answer. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back from the break, I have another question for my co-host to consider. Stay tuned to the Gospel Light Radio Show. There's a land beyond the river. That shore by faith's decree One by one we'll gain the portal There to dwell with the immortal When they ring those golden bells For you and There's a land, there's a land beyond the river, that we call, 
or, or ceremony or program for what constitutes an actual wedding or, or marriage. And so a lot of what determines marriage is going to be up to the law of the land and culture. Now, most people, when they have a wedding, they go to a, 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 uh, a minister or a priest or a rabbi or whatever their religious tradition is. I've done many weddings, and I'm sure you and many of the people listening here, men listening here, have done them. Or they might go to a judge, and a judge has the same authority uh, to uh, uh, off, uh, solemnize marriages. And then I remembered something in the back of my mind, and I went back and did some checking. We got married in 1995 in Colorado, and I went back and checked. And in the state of Colorado and in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, you do not have to have either a clergy or a judge to solemnize your marriage. You can actually do it yourself. You can just simply get the uh, paperwork and sign it. And I'm looking here at the website for one of the counties in Colorado, which says couples themselves may solemnize their own marriage according to Colorado Revised Statute 14-2-109. And others who can solemnize a marriage are judges, retired judges, magistrates, public officials authorized to perform marriages, or in accordance uh, with any mode of solemnization recognized by religious denomination or Indian tribe or nation. So you can... If you're in a, in a jurisdiction that will allow you to uh, solemnize your own marriage, then certainly you can do it without the traditional uh, ceremony. Now, we have to be careful, and I have to give this caveat, with what we sometimes call common law marriage. Uh, common law marriage is not necessarily recognized in all jurisdictions. And there is a sort of urban legend that goes around that says, well, if you live together for uh, usually two years or three years, you're automatically considered married by the state, and that is not true. Uh, when I was in California, there were people who thought that wasn't true. When I lived in Canada, I came across some couples who claimed common law marriage, and I started to wonder about it. So I contacted uh, an attorney who was a member of the church, and he said, really, if they say they're common law married, all that really means is they're just living together. And if one of them dies, the other survivor does not have the normal rights of survivorship that a spouse would have. So if you choose to go the route where you don't have a church uh, wedding or a judge officiate it, you need to check the laws of your jurisdiction wherever you live to see if there is a way you can solemnize and officially record your marriage uh, so that it will be recognized so that you do have those rights of survivorship and the normal spousal rights that come with it. Are you finished? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah, you me. went, you went dead on me. <laughs> oh, okay. Steve, you do realize you're gonna, tonight. you're gonna put them wedding chapels out of business, right? Uh, well, that's not my goal, but uh, I, I think <laughs> actually, I think, I think Vegas and Niagara Falls are safe uh, because when I lived uh, in, Ni- I lived near Niagara Falls, uh, there were long waiting lists for the wedding chapels there, so. And to a lot of people, that's real important to go there and, and uh, have their wedding uh, done there in Niagara Falls, the wedding capital of the world. That was a so very informative a- answer, though. Certainly appreciate you. All right, okay, brother. You're Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll have a lesson from my co-host, Tim Bench, from the state of Texas. Stay tuned for, to the Gospel Light radio show. Yeah. 
take it all take home. home. Come on, y'all. Take home. Gonna take it all take home. home. God is on. God is on the side. And the victory, and the victory is won. When the light is over, we're gonna hear him say, Shout and tremble. Then we'll take it on home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Though we're down here shedding tears, we're gonna win, there is no doubt. Oh, misery from my enemies, still a Lord would bring us down. Just came to tell old Satan, we're gonna tear your kingdom down. Then, in the end, we're gonna win when we receive a starry crown. Let's take it home, home. God is on our side. Victory is won. When the night's over, we're gonna hear him say, "Shout the troubles over," and then we'll take it all home. Yeah, we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're gonna keep walking out the Spirit of faith according to His word. We'll take the riggies and we'll lay our weapons down. Hand on the battle ain't over, but I believe we're shining right now. Turn the sun right now. We're gonna take it on home. God is on our side. So the victory is won. So Well, what a 
no more. We'll be resting in resting in Jesus' name. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning of the broadcast, I announced that my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Georgia, will be bringing us a lesson on the program this evening. Uh, Robert is ill on this evening, and my co-host, Tim Bench, from the state of Texas, has volunteered to take his segment. So now I turn the show over to my co-host, Tim Bench, and his subject, Turn the Other Cheek. Thank you, Stevie. I want to welcome everyone to our show this evening, wherever you may be located. We know that we have listeners uh, in the United States, outside the United States. Uh, we are thankful for each and every one of you, and as always, we hope that our broadcast will provide scriptural edification, uh, education, and will be beneficial, and it's just an honor to be a part of this. And as Stevie mentioned, my name is Tim Bench. And I'm calling in from Abilene, Texas this evening. Uh, as always, we want to encourage and we welcome all of our listeners. If there's ever any questions or comments or insights that our listeners would like to provide, uh, we can be contacted on Facebook or through email or through the phone number. Uh, we always welcome input, questions, etc., from our listeners. So we want to invite everyone to do that uh, as we sit back together tonight and study the gospel together tonight. I want to start by thanking Steve for doing the first segment of our show this evening. I think he did a wonderful job. And tonight, I would like for us to spend a few minutes studying and analyzing for what many people is far and away the most difficult commandment in the entire New Testament to keep and to observe. And this certainly is, for me personally, difficult, if not impossible at times, to keep. In fact, this commandment appears so completely opposite from modern-day societal expectations and societal norms that many people, even people within the churches of Christ, simply ignore this verse, and they choose to ignore the verses related to it. And we're going to look at why that is in just a few minutes. So tonight, we're going to be looking at some words of Jesus Christ himself these are excerpts from the famous Sermon on the Mount, and we will see very clearly and very quickly why the gospel that Jesus preached was the very antithesis of the rest of the world, both in the first century as well as in the 21st century. So if you have your Bibles handy this evening, go ahead and get those out. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 45. Matthew 5, 38 to 45, and I'll read this uh, in case anyone out there doesn't have their Bible handy. Again, this is Jesus himself speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I want to start tonight's lesson with a citation. This is titled, The Sermon on the Mount, 
Reformed Exposition, Chapter 19, the fifth antithesis, Christ's Teaching on Personal Retaliation, by Brian Schwertley. Quote, this principle, an eye for an eye, has come to be known by the Latin phrase lex talionis, or the law of retaliation. The English word retaliate originated from the same Roman root word for talionis, end quote. Jesus continues a bit later, going down to verse 43, and it's here that Jesus offers an even wider admonition than mere retaliation, and he tells his followers here specifically how to treat their enemies. Again, starting in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. These are some astonishing verses. I am not to retaliate against those who would strike or abuse me, Jesus says. I am not to get even. I am not to show someone else that I'm not one to be trifled with, and it seems that I'm not even to raise a hand to defend myself from personal attack. Again, we must not render evil for evil or repay those who abuse us in the same way that they have treated us. Personal revenge is condemned in both Testaments, both old and new. And tonight, we need to carefully distinguish between personal revenge, meaning insulting someone back who has insulted me or striking someone who has struck me, and the role of justice through civil government. And there you can reference Paul's writing in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. There is similar pacifist sentiment elsewhere in the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 16, verses 29 to 30, it reads, And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. The background, especially the Old Testament background of the overtones of the words of Jesus here, and again, note that he states, you have heard it said, which is an obvious reference to the law of Moses, which the assembled crowd would certainly know and follow. This needs to be addressed. And many will argue that Jesus was arguing against the Old Testament, which is partially the very reason that Jews reject Jesus as the Messiah today. So again, the key wording known today by even nominal Bible students is the adage of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This phrase appears three times in the Old Testament, and in each case, the phrase was given as a sentencing guideline to a judge after a guilty verdict had been reached. And this is so important, and I want us to look at this in some detail this evening. In each case... This decree was a portion of a much longer statement. Let's look at these briefly. From Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25. Again, let's read this together. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according as the, husband, the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. And if any mischief follow, then shalt give life for life, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, 
hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. And he that killeth a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so it shall be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And he that killeth the beast, he shall restore it. And he that killeth the man, he shall be put to death. Ye shall have one manner of law, as well as for the stranger, as for one of your country, for I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 16 through 21. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done to his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you, and thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In not one of these three cases is there a mention of personal retaliation. Only a judge was to hand down these punishments after carefully determining who was the guilty party and who was the aggrieved party. The punishments were a sentencing guideline so that the punishment appropriately fit the crime. So it seems that Jesus's comments or deriving uh, from Jesus's comments, we, we would follow that the Jews had twisted the original intent of these scriptures, and they had applied these guidelines to their individual lives. In other words, if someone punched them, they felt completely justified in punching back, so long as it didn't exceed what the other person was attempting to do to them. Retaliation had become the norm for the Jews, which Jesus was trying to dispel. So, what does this verse mean for us today in the 21st century versus what the Jews of the day both had taught as well as what they had practiced? This is from the Gospel according to Matthew by Leo Bowles. Quote, Jesus quotes from the law of Moses and puts his interpretation over against their traditions of the Jews. Jesus is teaching against retaliation. The Jews had perverted Exodus 21:23, Leviticus 24:20, Deuteronomy 19:21. God had never taught the spirit and practice of retaliation as the Jews were teaching and practicing it. It was never the law of God for anyone who had lost an eye to knock out the eye of his enemy, or if in personal combat had lost a tooth, could knock out the tooth of his assailant. No such procedure was permitted without judicial process. Jesus opposed the practice. He was not opposed to the law. He came to fulfill the law, but not to disregard it, end quote. 
from M.C. Curfees in The Law of God on Capital Punishment. Quote, it is a significant fact that when the Lord placed his own teaching in Matthew 5:38 against the ancient law recorded in Exodus 21, 23 to 25, which required life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, he confined his modification of that law to the point of personal resentment in returning evil for evil, end quote. From Foy Wallace in his writing, Who Has Departed from the Faith? This appeared in the Bible banner back in October 1942. And I think this is a very interesting concept to look at as far as the culture of the day and the reference to being slapped in the face. Quote, the example given a slap in the face has been regarded as a gross insult in all ages, but it is not an assault which imperils life. We find this precept illustrated by the master himself. He did not literally turn the other cheek to be smitten, but he breathed forth a mild and gentle reproof where he might have avenged himself by the sudden death of his adversary. The example of Paul also is given, but it is not so perfect is that of the master, Acts 33, verses 2 through 5. Self-preservation is a law of God, giving rights which, under most circumstances, a Christian can claim. He may resist the robber, the assassin, and all men of that ilk, and he may protect his person and his possessions against the assaults of the violent and lawless, Acts 16, verses 35 to 39. But... When the honor of Christ and the salvation of man demands it, he should observe this commandment even unto the very letter. A man may strive for self-protection when life is threatened without any spirit of revenge, end quote. And I think this is something interesting for each of us to think about tonight. Obviously, if we are merely insulted or someone makes a rude comment to us, it's not a matter of life and death. Our physical safety is not typically threatened or in peril. When we can turn around and walk away from such grievances, we are expected to. We are told to do so. And again, simply being mocked or insulted or maligned by someone is far different than having our lives or our loved ones' lives around us being directly threatened. Again, there are multiple verses in the Old Testament regarding retaliation which read very similarly to Jesus' admonitions. Old Testament writings, which the eye for an eye Jews Jesus was addressing, conveniently seemed to ignore. So let's look at a few of those also. Again, the whole concept of walking away from trouble or turning the other cheek, that concept does appear in the Old Testament. For example, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, reads as follows, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that is sentiment that absolutely uh, reappears and is reaffirmed in the New Testament. From Proverbs chapter 24, verse 29, do not say I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 to 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. 
and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And finally, from Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Simply stated, Jesus taught that rather than returning the evils done to us, we should return good instead. And again, this is a very challenging command to follow, whether it be from personal insult or personal slight or verbal attack or less commonly physical attack. We are to treat others as we would want others to treat us. And nearly all of us, especially the men among our group and our listeners, were probably taught from a very early age something completely opposite, that we are not to allow people to run over us. We have to be a man. We have to stand up for ourselves. We have have to defend ourselves, and that is something that's drilled into our heads by our fathers and grandfathers and older brothers. But again, this is the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, and is echoed throughout the New Testament. We're going to take a break here for just a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to turn this back over to Stevie. We certainly hope that everyone will stick around uh, for the second half of this presentation on Lex Talionis. Uh, We'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. Yeah, we don't. 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 Yeah, we don't.
coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Two important points need to be made here. First, we are assured by God that vengeance, or getting even, if you will, is his responsibility. That is not our responsibility. And God promises that he, and he alone, will dole out vengeance through his supreme and all-knowing justice. Vengeance is not our responsibility, no matter how strongly we feel it might be or how strongly we even want it to be in certain situations. Secondly, we are to be different from the rest of the world. We are to be pillars of light in a darkened and evil world. We are to stand in contrast with the tepid society around us. Again, verse 20 tells us that by not retaliating, as most all of society would feel justified in doing when attacked, we might well prick the conscience of our attacker. We might well cause him to feel guilt over what he has done. And in doing so, his heart might well be opened and receptive to the message of the gospel and to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Again, we can't guarantee that. We don't know that definitively, but we do know that that would be the hoped-for outcome uh, of that. This is from studylight.org by Richard Beatty. Quote, Paul suggests that the enemy will burn with shame for his abuse of the one who loves him. End quote. Again, referencing uh, other people's conscience being uh, activated, their sense of shame, their sense of remorse, becoming hopefully a tool that we could use to help spread the gospel. From R.L. Whiteside in his commentary on Romans, quote, there is inherent in man a sense of justice, a feeling that evildoers should be punished. Taking vengeance is the savage's way of exacting justice, but not the Lord's way. The individual should not, with his own hands, try to take satisfaction for injuries. To punish evildoers is God's prerogative. Let him do the punishing in his own appointed way, end quote. From Bill Bovary at the Sunset Institute of Bible Studies in Lubbock, Texas. This is from Burden to Joy, a study guide to the Book of Romans. Quote, punishing evil is God's job, not yours. To stoop to vengeance is to join in their evil. End quote. From Leroy Brownlow in Thoughts of Gold, Words of Silver. Quote, how can we expect peace if we retaliate? How can we expect to live in a world of love if we keep a heart of hate? Of course, it's easier to fight back, to take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But there are good reasons for overcoming this urge. One, to rise above the animal. Two, self-preservation. For if all enemies should slit each other's throats, there soon would be no one left. The only satisfactory way to deal with your enemies is to be good to them they don't know how to handle this tactic. Those coals of fire you heap on their heads begins to burn, end quote. And again, or finally, from the James Burton Kaufman commentary on Romans, quote, if the child of God should retaliate in kind for all acts of enmity against himself, he would shortly find himself engaging in all kinds of shameful and wicked conduct to prevent such an unwholesome development 
the servant of the Lord must launch a counterattack, returning good for evil, deploying good actions against the evil actions of his enemy. Here in Romans 12:21 is the grand strategy of God with regard to human evil. The natural man finds himself living and operating in a world where one rotten apple can make a barrel of good apples rotten, but the spiritual man, having the mind of the spirit, proceeds upon the premise that one good apple might make a barrel of rotten apples sound, end quote. From David Lipscomb in his commentary on Romans, quote, God will use the wicked to avenge the wrongs heaped upon his children, but especially at the judgment day will he requite the evildoers for all the wrongs inflicted on them. Leave it to the hands of God to punish the wrongdoers, end quote. Again, acting in complete and polar opposition to what the world expects of us is what differentiates Christians from the world in the first place. We are not to undertake vengeance upon others. We are not to strike back. We are not to respond. We are not to retaliate or get even or teach that guy a lesson or descend to the animal level of a world largely apathetic or even hostile to Christianity. We are told in no uncertain terms to leave in peace and to live in peace with all men, even our enemies. Romans 10, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And ordinarily, not in all cases, but typically, if we look hard enough, that is precisely what we are able to do. The New Testament tells us that we are to be a light under the world. This appears in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Acts 13, verse 47, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, 2 Peter 1, 19, Matthew 4, 16, and so on. This is a theme that repeats itself over and over throughout the New Testament that we are to be a light shining out into the darkened world. How can we expect to be a shining light into the darkest abyss of the world, reflecting the purity and perfection of Jesus when we conduct ourselves in worldly ways, when we react as the world around us would react, when we would strike back at others just as the world would strike back? How can we be a light unto the world when we act as the world does. Again, we, know, we all know that turning the other cheek flies in the face of our natural desires and impulses, and it's contrary to not only what societal expectations might predicate or have taught us, but it also might be in direct conflict again with what our family or our parents might have taught us as well. And again, that's a difficult thing to overcome. But Again, this is an explicit command from Jesus Christ himself, who takes precedence over anyone and anything in our lives. And obedience to his words is of paramount importance for both the salvation of our souls as well as reflecting Christ to a barren, desolate world. Again, to hopefully bring souls to Christ. And this evening, what is more important to you. This is a question that I want everyone to listen to carefully and think about personally. Think about a scenario. Think about a situation in your life where you have 
conflict with another person and you want to retaliate, you want to get even, you want to get satisfaction, whatever that may be, here's the question. Is getting even with that someone more important to you than bringing that someone to Jesus? You might go out and get even. You might go out and get your revenge or your retaliation, but you might also drive that person away from Jesus Christ once and for all. What is more important to you, your satisfaction or your obedience to Jesus Christ? And again, both your soul, very well maybe as the soul of that other person, your adversary, hang in the balance to the answer of that question. Tonight, as we conclude our lesson, just some things to think about as we close. Have you or do you turn the other cheek? Or are you intent on twisted Old Testament dogma, as is much of the world? So often we will see or read people on Facebook saying that, well, I'm just going off what the Bible says, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm entitled to get even. I've actually read people who have made that argument. That's not what Jesus says. That's not at all what Jesus says. And those people who say that do not live under the Old Testament covenant that they claim to follow. Another question that all of us can think about and consider tonight is your obedience to Jesus surpassed by your own ego and your own selfish desires to exact retaliation against other other people, regardless of what the words of the Savior are the Savior that you claim to follow in the first place. Again, if you are a Christian, that means that you claim to be a follower of Christ. How can you be a follower of Christ when you categorically reject the very words that Christ had to say on this or any topic? As always, we want to thank everyone for being a part of our show tonight, and we hope that this study in any of the studies that you ever hear on the Gospel Light are beneficial to you and will help to sharpen your knowledge of solid, basic, conservative, biblical principles and teachings. We, again, want to, to encourage all of our listeners, wherever you may be, to always feel free to contact uh, Stevie Butler. You can contact me, Tim Bench, any of our show hosts that we have here if you ever have any questions or comments or needs that we can assist you with. And we want to issue that invitation to you wherever you may be. We're blessed weekly with comments and questions and queries from around the globe, and we certainly try to answer all of those. Let's close this evening, if you will. Wherever you are, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come unto you tonight, Father, to thank you for this opportunity that we have and this technology that we share, which allows us, wherever we're located around the globe, we can be in Texas, we can be in the eastern part of the United States, we can be anywhere, Europe, Africa, wherever it might be, and we can come together uh, through this technology to study your word. We're so thankful for that. We're thankful, Father, for the immeasurable sacrifice made by your Son, by Jesus Christ. We know that he died for our sins. He suffered because of each and every one of us and our sins and, and failings. Uh, we're so thankful for that, Father. This is a sacrifice that we cannot fully comprehend. We each owe a debt that we know that we can never repay for that sacrifice. And we're so thankful unto you. We pray, Father, that each of us will 
go out into our communities, whether it be at our place of work or our schools or our friends, our neighbors, and even our families. We hope that we will always reflect Jesus Christ around to the people that we are around on a daily basis and that ultimately we will help to fulfill the Great Commission and to help bring the lost to you. Please be with us. Please forgive us of our many sins. It is in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. Oh, please come down and bless me. Lord, I'm tired. Sometimes I get weary. Oh, yes, I do. And it seems like I'm going out of my mind. Hold on. And it gets so hard trying to make it from day to day. I get weak. I get worn. Trying to stay on my feet. It's so hard. Help me, please. Help me, please. To make it through. Cause I don't need no one but you. Begging you, Lord, yeah. Going down on my knees. Begging you, please. 
happy days that will be on that judgment day. I know that's a happy day. We don't know the day nor the hour, but I know that's gonna be a happy day. The Lord has a mansion prepared, a mansion prepared for you and for me. And oh, Lord, oh, Lord, in the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.